Try it again. Good morning. Ooh, there I am. Welcome everyone to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren. It is Sunday, August the 29th. This scripture comes from Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty, instead of ashes, the oil of joy, instead of mourning, a garment of praise, instead of a spirit of despair, they will call, be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Amen. I know many of you are parents or grandparents, and so you may have come across a book series by a man named Richard Scarry. I promise it's not frightening. Come on, I have to get at least one bad pun. Oh yeah, I'll probably get a few more in, we'll see. All right, so Richard Scarry is well known for a series of books called the Busy Town Books. They, they feature uh, anthropomorphic animals, that is, animals that have been made to be more human, going about their lives in busy town. It's mainly a word-learning book. You go through, and there, here's a picture of in town. And so you learn words like stop sign and traffic light and doctor's office. There's the one of the farm and of the house and of a school and so on and so forth. We, we have one at home that it tells all about learning about doctor's offices, which is why my daughter knew the word autoscope before I did. I guess you really do get taught by your children. Not the way I was expecting. Also, why is there a TH in autoscope? It's auto, anyway. So I had a book of this myself when I was a young one. It was the real big word book. And as we flipped through the pages, we came to the one that had all the different animals doing different jobs. So I think there was like a dog astronaut and a cat firefighter. And I think there was a pig who was a butcher, which just seems a little dark. But somewhere along the line, I think we said, you know, okay, you know, what do you want to be and grow up? Or more likely, one of us pointed and said, I'm going to be that. And I probably picked an astronaut. I was into astronauts then. I don't remember what Jacob picked. But then Laban put his finger down on the tiger driving the, the garbage truck and said, I want to be that. That was a little strange. Laban did not like the garbage truck. It was loud and big. It came once a week to empty the big dumpster. Laban, you want to be the trash man? No. Laban, that's 
the garbage truck, like the one that comes every Tuesday. That's the garbage man. You want to be a garbage man. No. Okay, Laban, what do you want to be? And he puts his finger down on it again. I'm going to grow up to be a tiger. This may not be a surprise. My brother did not grow up to be a tiger. <laughs> but he did grow up to be a facilities director for at least like seven years, and that did involve a lot of garbage collecting. That's something we do a lot as kids. But for most of us, we never figure out what we're going to be at that age. Like, I know I'm not an astronaut, obviously. I don't think I have the eyes. I don't think it would let me. They, thankfully, you know, since lenses have become so nice and thin, there's no way I could have worn regular glasses because this eye would be so heavy, it would tip my glasses right off my head. There are a few who figure it out young, but there are a few, many who figure it out later in life. There's some that figure it out fairly early on. I kind of knew I was going to go into ministry in my teenage years, but it took me decades to get there through a winding path. There are some who find different paths along the way and may not figure out their full call until they're quite old, like, uh, Mary, Anna Mary Robertson Moses, Grandma Moses. She didn't figure out that she was a painter, like a good painter, until she was 76. But there are a few. Those who get the call like Samuel. You know, they just know from an old, young age that they're growing into something. Like my, my cousin Sarah, who's a nurse. Looking back on it, I don't know, she knew it. But looking back, it's obvious that Sarah was always going to grow up to be a nurse. It was just the way she was. This Sarah, I guess that's this way for you folks, also knew what she was going to grow up to at a young age. She was just 18. She was a PK. It's a pastor's kid. Okay, actually, technically, the brethren didn't have pastors at that point. She was a minister's kid. She attended the Philadelphia German Baptist Church, what they called the Dunkards back then, what we are now. And one week, Elder Peter Kaiser invited someone to come preach. Her name was Harriet Livermore, better known to history as Pilgrim Stranger. That may, name may not ring a bell, but I felt I needed to include her in this story because she's one of those forgotten heroes of, of Christianity in America in her day. She was one of the first major women preachers. She had been called to the ministry by the Spirit at age 33 and had been only preaching about five years at this point. She grew up in the Congregationalist Church, which is basically, think New England, Puritans, pilgrims, so on and so forth. That's the, that was the Congregationalist Church. So she grew up there, and she felt the call at age 33 after not really having an interest in church before that. And their church also did not allow women to preach. 
but she still persisted and did so. And before she knew it, she preached tens of thousands of sermons all over this new country, including four sermons to Congress. Four. She wasn't the first woman to preach before Congress, but she had the most. John Quincy Adams even wrote about her in his letters, in which he was very, he praised what she said, but then also talked down on her because she was a woman. It was a time. Anyway, she was only about five years into her ministry when she was invited to speak before the German Baptist. And then Sarah heard her preach and her heart was turned. She went from going to church every Sunday because her dad was one of the ministers and that was expected of her to becoming, to wanting to be a part of the church and to entering the water and being baptized. But it didn't stop there. She felt more. She felt that she needed to do something more. The Spirit was talking loud to her. And so, she struggled with it. She struggled long and hard. Now, there is a lot of time discrepancies because Sarah never wrote down her story. And so all the stories we get have been passed down through the ages. And it seems unclear as to when things happen. So I can say that she was baptized at age 18, and she began preaching at age 26. But it's unclear when that path moved from being a member of the church to being a preacher in the church. I just don't know. But uh, Mary Garber, who wrote, a, writes, wrote stories over all these different historians, you know, collected these different stories, put them together into kind of a single narrative for each one. She put the conversation that happened between Sarah's father, John, and her something like this. Dad, I feel called to preach the gospel but I don't feel right about it because I'm a woman. Now, this could have gone a couple ways. John, writer, after all, was a minister. He was a well-respected man in the Church of the Brethren or the, the Dunkard congregation he was a member of. In these days, there were three different levels in the church. There was, I mean, not for... There was all the members. There was the group of deacons who handled the work of the church. Then there were the group of ministers who handled the ministry within the church. And then there were the elders who were kind of like the senior pastors of their day. So he was a minister. He was someone who had been raised up to help lead and teach the church. And he could have gone with a really traditional kind of answer. But what we already know is he was not the most traditional man. If for one simple fact, more than likely, Sarah was like 25 or 26 at this time. If you made it to 30 unmarried, you were probably going to be a spinster. Most women were married in their early 20s or late teenage years. 
he didn't seem to push that on her. Elizabeth, his wife, Sarah's mother, also didn't seem to push this on her. He seemed to be somewhat non-traditional, or at least non-conformist, which let's face it, we're brethren, we're supposed to be non-conformist. And so he seemed to answer something along the lines of this. Well, the brethren have never had a female woman preacher. But I don't know if that's for right or for wrong. We'll have to take it to Elder Peter Kaiser and see what he thinks. But my daughter, I have to tell you one thing. You should never be embarrassed for wanting to preach the word. And so he took her to, to the elder Peter Kaiser. I think it's Kaiser. It's K-E-Y-S-E-R. In German, you usually pronounce the second vowel as the loud one. But I'm not sure when it's a Y. But Kaiser is nicer than Kieser. And so he took his daughter to Ke Kaiser. Now I'm going to say Kieser. And I'm, I'm going to actually read straight from Mary's work on this. It, it opens up with with her describing how, how Sarah and John entered into his workshop and he sets down his tools and then it gives a little bit of things that he probably wouldn't have had said that way, but it gives you an idea of the kind of man he is, that he is so happy that Sarah is an active member within the church. And Sarah answers, how much I want to serve my church but she is unable to say how. And so her father jumps in. Sarah feels a call in her heart to work for God as a preacher. But we know that some people would not like a woman preacher. We have come to ask your advice. I do not believe Jesus ever spoke against a woman serving as a preacher, said Elder Kaiser who knew all of the New Testament and much of the Old Testament by memory. He could quote whole chapters, not missing a single word. He himself was a great preacher. And here he was encouraging a young person to preach, and a girl at that. If God calls one for a special task, you may be sure that he will be with you even if some people do not understand and they say unkind things. And so it came to be that young Sarah Ryder began her public ministry in her home church in Philadelphia. Some people found fault and spoke out against her, but Sarah expected this and kept straight on her way, sure of her call. You notice in Kaiser's answer the, dualist the dualistic problem that has happened in the Church of the Brethren since the very beginning and we continue to struggle with today. What do we listen to? Because we are Anabaptist, and Anabaptists read the Bible and follow the rules as written in the ink. We are also radical pietists who say you read the Bible in order to better cultivate your relationship with Christ and you listen to the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. 
And the thing is, is sometimes this doesn't always necessarily agree with this. And sometimes the group in the community has a hard time understanding what the one person is hearing. And sometimes the one person who's hearing things isn't hearing things that make sense or are necessarily good. And so Kaiser sets up for himself at least a basic standard because if you think about it, this man knows the entire New Testament. He can start at the first words in Matthew and he can end with the last words of Revelation. And he knows perfectly well that there is a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that reads, this is 34-35. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at church, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Hmm. Now, I don't know the kind of biblical scholar he was. I can only speak as a modern-day Christian, and I know some of you here were, have been in our Tuesday night Bible studies, and we just passed this passage. And I'm not going to go deep into this, and I'm always open to having a conversation about this later if you would like, just not the next two weeks. Anyway, this passage has always been one I've struggled with because if you read the rest of 1 Corinthians and you get to this passage, you go, wait, that doesn't agree with anything you just said, Paul. And that's why it's a struggle. But anyway, he sets up the standard, though, Kaiser does, of what does Jesus say and what does God say to your heart? These are the two highest standards in his world. What does Jesus say in the Gospels? What does God say in your heart? Because that does align with a lot of what 1 Corinthians is about. 1 Corinthians talks constantly about how the Holy Spirit manifests in everyone, man and woman. And you, can't, you do not get to say who that Spirit manifests in. And so he encouraged her to speak. That's why I chose today's passage. Because I can just imagine what it was like for Sarah the first time she walked into her space, into her congregation, and preached. Because I can imagine also what it was like for Jesus the first time to walk into his synagogue and preach. And what does he say? He delivers the main point of the gospel, proclaiming freedom, proclaiming light, proclaiming peace, proclaiming all good things are coming, that the kingdom of God is near. Of course, for Sarah, it would have been a little different. So she would have been in a meeting house. So meeting houses don't look like modern sanctuaries. They're, they're, so instead of the pastor being up here at the small end of the church, the pastor would be over here on the wide end, or the minister's, and you all be facing this way. Of course, you guys wouldn't be behind me. There would be a table here, and there'd be a set of seats going that way, and a set of seats going that way, and then most of the seats like this. There's actually an old church in middle Pennsylvania called um, 
Ogwick Valley, I think. I remember it, it was the traditional setting, and it had slanting rows going down on each side, like slopes going down. Because my mom told me she always would worry whenever we went there that we would play with our cars and let them go rolling down. <laughs> and then there were little platforms where the pews actually sat on. So she would be sitting there, standing there, either on the same level as everyone or slightly below everyone. Now when Jesus did this, and he stood up in front, and he preached, those around him said, who is this man? This is, isn't this Joe's son? Isn't that Mary's kid? Look, there's his brothers. I know his sisters. I remember him when he was a little brat, and he was missing his front teeth, and he was chasing the goats. Because every kid chases goats, or the goats chase you, one or the other. And they kicked him out. Now, Mary, now Sarah is standing in that same position, proclaiming gospel, proclaiming the good news. And I am sure there are people in there going, isn't that John and Elizabeth's daughter? Isn't that Sarah? I remember when she was little. I remember when she was baptized. Shouldn't she be married like all the other girls and have a couple kids? She should be sitting over there with them. There's a big difference between what happened to Jesus when he proclaimed the gospel and when Sarah proclaimed the gospel. When Jesus proclaimed the gospel, they closed their hearts off to the movement of the Holy Spirit and they threw him out. Actually, according to Matthew, I think it is, might be Luke, they tried to throw him off a cliff. But with Sarah, there were probably some who didn't like her. But many of them had their hearts open to the movement of the Spirit, and they were moved by her words. They were brought closer to God by what she said. And she had power in her words. Before she knew it, the Amwell Church of the Brethren, the congregation which I think recently they opened up the second congregation in New Jersey. It's taken us a while to get into New Jersey. Amwell was the first. Uh, they were, she was invited to preach at Amwell. And then the Germantown. And before she knew it, she was traveling regularly to the different churches of the brethren all around the Philadelphia area. They heard in her the spirit moving. And her words moved them. But not everyone liked that. There was a line. A line that said, you can't preach beyond here. And that was the rest of the denomination. And so they brought it up to the annual meeting. And if you wanted to go back and read the minutes, go to 1835 and move to Article 13. Concerning a sister's preaching, not approved of. Considering such a sister being in danger, not only exposing her own state of grace to temptation, but also causing temptations, discord, and dispute among other members. I really should have picked a passage out of 1 Corinthians, because I'm going back to it again. Maybe it's just the Bible study. 
Anyway, a lot of 1 Corinthians is about how we should use our gifts. That's for building up of the church, not tearing it down. And so we hear that echoed in their concern. Yeah, there's the usual thing about how temptation, but there's also that discord and dispute. They are concerned that the net gain or the net outcome of her preaching is that it will tear at the church more than it builds up the church. And so they say, Sarah, Sister Sarah Ryder, you may not preach anymore. So they sent a delegation, because that's what they did. They sent a delegation who sat down with her and talked for a while, and then they left without ever delivering the message. As one of them put it, after speaking with her at length, Elder James H. Tracy of Indiana wrote, I could not give my voice to silence one who could out-preach me. I wish I could tell you what those words were that she did preach, what those sermons included. But the thing is, is while they could not silence her in her own day, history has silenced her because we don't have any transcripts. She never wrote down her words. No one seems to have recorded much. We do know a bit, especially from her later life, because others did talk about her. She married a man named Thomas Major, who was also a minister in the church, and they moved to an area near Dayton, Ohio. They would be invited to come speak at other, at other congregations pretty normally, but they would take a vote. The standard became if one elder or one of a certain members, it depended on the congregation what their rules were. If one person dissented, then she was not allowed to preach. But she could read the word and she could give prayers. And I liked how one person put it, I was very disappointed because one of the elders dissented and would not allow her to preach. But her husband Thomas got up and he gave a good sermon. Then Sarah came up and gave a very short prayer, and that prayer put everyone else to shame. Sorry, Thomas. He was outdone by a five-minute prayer. Her spirit, her faith continued to run rampant. She didn't only preach freedom. She didn't only preach light and healing. She lived it. She acted as a nurse for those who were sick. She acted as a conductor on the Underground Railroad. When the first brethren um, elder was called, who was African-American, she had love feast with them and feet washing when others refused to. We're going to get to the story of Samuel Weir in a couple weeks, but it was him. She lived her life to the fullest. She preached her gospel, and she lived it to its fullest. To this day, though, we still continue to struggle. We struggle between our Anabaptist half and our radical pietist half. 
Do we listen to the words as written, or do we listen to the God, the God as God moves through us actively? Most of the time, they move in one. Sometimes, not as well. But I think we can take from Sarah a very basic understanding of what you do. You preach it. Even if you're in conflict with yourself, you preach the gospel. You preach it. Uh, Sarah wrote, I included half the quote in my manuscript and half the quote here. I don't know why I did that. I conceived it would be very inconsistent in an apostle to quench the gift of God because it was given to a woman. God always gave his gifts freely where they were willing to use them. And I believe in Christ Jesus, male and female are one, just as Jews and Gentiles are made one. So let's not worry as much about the argument sometimes. And let's worry about preaching. Preaching gospel. Thank you. As we walk through this world, may we remember that the Lord is great. The power of God is great. And may we, despite whatever confusion, whatever troubles, whatever unsureties we come across, may we continually praise out in joy the gospel and live the gospel in every step we take. Amen.